0: He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. We're back to Bibby, has the open shot.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento.
2: Welcome to the King's Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Dunez from the King's Herald and the King's Pulse Podcast. If you're not listening to the King's Pulse pod- Podcast, make sure you are. Like, Brendan's doing some really good work there. Um, Brendan, what's going on, man?
1: Not too much, James. I appreciate it, and always good to talk to you, man. Um, I-, I wish we were talking under circumstances that was a big win yesterday in New Orleans, but... It is what it is. That wouldn't be talking Kings basketball then. It's true.
2: That's true. Know? Yeah, this team yeah. has a way of letting you down. Uh, whoever it is out there, this they let you down. That's what they do. Um, let, let's cover some bases. Uh, number one, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, we're like dangerously close to 1,000 subscribers. So give us a subscribe, uh, a subscribe, uh, and give us a thumbs up and leave comments like the comments have been really good I, i've been enjoying um, i haven't had a lot of time to get in and start responding to comments but um leave comments i, I think it's really cool that uh, we're kind of building a little community there especially on the youtube side um anywhere else you're listening uh just give us a rating and review that would help us um let's see kingsbeat merch is being shipped out today so for all of you who have already bought stuff uh i have been uh, brennan i'm old (laughs) like when you go you like you know what i'm gonna sell merch you're like what does that exactly mean to most people like i had to like buy this little tiny printer for labels and so i had to wait for that i had to buy bags um i had to buy a scale like i i had to sign up for shippo like there's all of these things that you just don't think of and so, uh, yeah, it's uh, you're getting all your merch, and uh, I expedited shipping. I paid extra to make sure everyone's getting their stuff as soon as possible. So you should start seeing your merch roll in in the next day or two. Do I you have also, the
1: shirt you're wearing available now?
2: I don't have the shirt I'm wearing. Uh, uh. We, we have not made this one available yet, but uh, Brennan asked, so I'm going to pan down so people who can see um, this is uh, – shirt that we had made um it does not have brendan it has sean cunningham who eventually is going to rejoin us uh but yeah it's uh it's it's a fun shirt we're probably gonna do limited limited production of these at some point we'll throw them up on the uh on the king's beat um merchandise shop and uh and then i'm also gonna throw this out there um because i'm excited about all this stuff that i just did all the shipping and all this packaging and all that stuff i need to do more of it now um, so if you guys want to discount um, KB Podcast, like King's Beat Podcast, uh, capital K, capital B, capital P, podcast, um, I'll put it down below, is a promo code for our merchandise shop. Gets you 15% off your next purchase through the end of March. So there's that. Um, Brandon's got a, a sweatshirt on its way. Um, just he's got one of the white ones coming. I'm excited to see
1: Brennan like all fired up wearing the. Wearing I'm the looking merch. forward to it. Yeah, uh, no, you I me and that's... Sean are gonna have to go to Yard House all in uniform. In uniform, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's awesome. Um, sweet. Outside of that, make sure to become a premium subscriber on the King's Beat. Um, we're gonna set up a happy hour for later this month. Uh, but it's coming soon, and so uh, we'll make sure to get on that. We'll have another guest. It'll be good stuff. It'll be fun. Um, Outside of that, this is uh, like the Kings have a way, Brennan, of of just punching their fans in the face, and I I feel bad for Kings fans because you get to these moments where – and this has happened the last couple of years. It's not like this team is always just completely out of it, and they have no chance – There are games that matter, and there are games that matter. Even last year and the year before, like the bubble, this team was in the bubble. The first game in the bubble mattered. They got punched in the face and then fell apart in the bubble. This, uh, you know, last season, I think they had a game late in the season where they had to beat the Spurs. They didn't beat the Spurs, which is typical. Uh, They always lose to the Spurs when they need to win. And then we get to this game on Wednesday night, and it was just classic Kings. I, I, that's what it felt like it, it doesn't matter who is coaching this team who is playing for this team it just the last 15 years feels like it's on repeat and uh that was a tough one brennan what are your initial thoughts from uh the pounding the kings the 30 point loss right that they took yeah. at the hands
1: at the, the pelicans i mean i think the issue for me is that this is the first one that since the Sabonis trade, which I think he's played eight games with them now, I believe. And this was the first one that felt horrible. You know, the Brooklyn one, it was like, you're just missing a lot of shots um, that I thought were somewhat decent looks. This one was just bad. Like they rolled over and died in that third quarter. Um, And we had seen that happen throughout obviously the years like you said but even earlier this season I think we saw it a handful of times and I I started to get so tired of that and was praising this team recently of you know in each one of these games even when they're losing like Chicago they were down whatever 12 at the very end and then they bring it back and they're showing fight until the very last minute and I think the most concerning thing for me in this one and a lot of it I think their struggles had to do with this poor spacing that is just a theme that we're going to be talking about for the rest of this season, I'm sure, uh, because that's what the roster is dealing with, but they didn't show that same fight in heart, which is the most concerning thing for me.
2: Yeah, I think when I really looked at the third quarter, um, we got to the 626 mark, and the Kings picked up, uh, they got got into the bonus, right? So it, it was super early. And I, I think I tweeted out, 626 left in the third. Uh, the Kings are already in the bonus. Let's see if they can take advantage. I, I tweeted that. They did not take advantage. Not only that, but they hit two more shots the rest of the quarter. And when when they got in the, in the bonus, the game was close. It was like a six-point game, seven-point game. I mean, it was super close. And then it just spun out so quickly of just some of the st- – Stupidest basketball I've ever seen. Just flat out. Just what are you doing? Like, why? Why are you taking a 21-foot jumper with a bunch of time on the clock, Davion, Mich- uh, Davion Mitchell? Like, I, that's a young player problem. But we see uh, Sabonis take a three-pointer right then. That like things were slipping out of control. Not only that, but Brennan gets to like a 13-point deficit, and things are spinning out. And Alvin Gentry pulled Sabonis. I, I was just, like, in shock. Like, do you not—does everyone in the building, everyone who's watching anywhere, anyone in the NBA, not feel your entire season slipping away and you're going to pull your best player? Uh, uh, just, like, the entire thing, the way that it played out, they get to the line a couple of times the rest of the quarter, but, like, Damian Jones gets to the free throw line and bricks, too. Um, I think Harrison Barnes missed one of two. It was just like a colossal collapse, which we've seen so many times before, but it really, we had gone away from that identity, the horrific third quarter collapse identity that we saw early in the season. And it was just a reminder of, man, this team is exactly who we thought they were.
1: Yeah, they definitely need more. And I I think we got the full Harrison Barnes experience in this one where he's just totally on fire at the beginning of the game. You know, he ends the first half with 15 points and three of three from distance. uh, Seven shot attempts in that first half. And then he goes into the third quarter. He goes one of three, uh, four points there in the fourth quarter. He only got one shot up. He only played four minutes because they kind of were out of it once a l- later in that quarter, um, but it, it's like when the game is getting tough, get to the line, and you are in the bonus, and Harrison Barnes is a guy that's really good at shaking them kind of out of one of these funks of, you know, get to the line two possessions in a row, like we've we seen him capable of doing that, especially when he's playing off as a bonus, and that totally went away, and um, so while the spacing is an issue, because, I mean, they went six of 18, in that first half and then in the third quarter they go two of eight from three the fourth quarter they go oh of nine from three um Harrison Barnes is the only guy to make more than one triple and this is the second consecutive game where the Kings have not had two guys that have made more than one three um it's the, the shooting's not good enough but I think there are certain a- other aspects of like where did the ball movement and player movement go in that third quarter um and i and sometimes that your main guys need to just be able to pull you out of a funk for a couple possessions slow everything down slow down the momentum of the other team and try to get you back on track and that wasn't happening um yeah and you're getting turnovers maybe these poor shots like you're you throwing up a poor shot but then you're still not even sprinting back in transition and there's such horrible transition defense. Um it was the first time since this Sabonis move where I was just so frustrated watching the game again. Yeah, I mean I think the biggest letdown too. I mean, you bring
2: up some of it there like when tough times happen and they do in games. Like the the NBA is about it's a game of runs. Very seldom do you see a game go back and forth. You know, I know uh, Gary Gerald tracks lead changes, he always has, and I always enjoy listening to how many lead changes. That's really not the NBA. The NBA is seven, seven to two, nine, oh, you know, six, six, three. Like it it just, it's a game of runs. It, It goes back and forth. And it seems like the Kings, number one, they don't understand when the other team is on a run that seems like the they're not living in the moment and, and understanding that things are spinning out quickly and you have to stop what's happening right so that's one huge issue the other thing is is like i'll go back a couple of years ago like what is it four or five years ago when they had zebo anytime a team went on a run against the kings during the zebo era you threw the ball to zebo and he went and got you a bucket and so a 60 run didn't become a 90 or a 10 or a 150 run it stopped right there. Well, where is the IQ of this team? If you see a team on a run and you feel the run happening, then load up in the post. Just go at the rim. Go for easy buckets in the paint. And I know Valanchunas is a big guy. I know Sabonis missed some shots. But at the same time, like either Harrison Barnes or or Demonis Sabonis should have called for the ball in the post instead of watching these really, really bad long jump shots. Just horrible. I mean, even, I, you know, like, not to... A Damian Jones pulled up and hit one at one point, and it was like an 18-foot jumper or 17-foot jumper. Like, that is such a low-percentage shot from a guy like that, and you're glad it goes down, but at the same time, where is the understanding of the game of basketball? And we can, like, berate this team all we want. We just we're just going to keep saying they are who we thought they were. And they, they let themselves down. They let their fan base down once again. And now they're looking at like the biggest uphill battle of all time. And people should really stop talking about the play in. And as soon as we stop talking about it, they'll go right back into it somehow and get on some stupid little run. And next thing you know, they're right there. Um, but I think the, at the end of the day, Brendan, we just want them to be better. Like, it's not just about winning and losing. It's about like understanding the game in, in the right way and doing things the right way and finding just the basics to keep yourself from getting blown out in a game. And uh, again, you brought up Harrison Barnes. I think Harrison Barnes is like a classic. that was one of those games where you just looked at him like, what exactly happened, man? He had 15 points in the first half. He was so incredibly good. He finished with 19 points, and I think he hit one more shot the rest of the game. He didn't shoot enough. He didn't hit enough, but he didn't shoot enough. And he just was a non-factor in, in a huge game. And people can berate and get on De'Aaron Fox for he kind of had the same thing where he had a big first half. I think he had 17 in the first half, and he ends up with, like, 25. But what he did to Brennan, uh, Brandon Ingram in the, in the third and fourth quarters, like – all right. There you go. Like at least he had a reason for his numbers going downhill and that was because he was trying to stop a dude who has like 6 inches on him in height and probably, you know, like standing reach probably has a foot on him. And I thought he did a spectacular job of fighting, whether it always worked or not. I just know that uh that Ingram had like 24 in the first half and he finishes with what, and he's in the thirties, but he didn't finish with 48. Um, and I thought that, that Fox really did play good defense. So I almost want to take him out of a lot of the equation and just say like, where is everybody? It's hard to watch.
1: Yeah. I think that Fox and Domas played well. Um, I I think that they're not, it's not like they're not a part of this conversation when we're like assigning blame Um, even if maybe that's not great wording because, you know, they are the one and two on this team. Like, I think that they could have done more, but to me, the issues that we saw last night were further than them. Um, I think that they were a part of that, some of the low IQ shots, um, that they certainly were a factor in there, but there's a lot of these other guys where it's like you're saying, new Orleans is going on a run. And even when there aren't situations, when the opposing team is in runs throughout these last five to eight games there's been way too often where it's I- I've said it before like 16 18 seconds left on the shot clock and you're shooting a decent look and it's just decent is not good enough when you have that much time to create a better look um Justin Holiday throws up quick threes DiVincenzo definitely does um I, I think all of these guys are guilty and again Fox will throw up some poor mid-ranges early in the shot clock Jeremy Lamb has taken some a few wild shots. Uh <laughs> his floater is so weird and it just looks horrible every time, but
2: I like I'm still impressed with him. He still yeah. looks he still looks like a much better player than most of the players around him when he's on the court. Every time I'm watching him I'm like, "Oh man, he looks competent. He looks like a solid NBA player." But he, he's definitely you know.
1: been better than I expected.
2: Yeah, better than uh, I, I told I mean, and then again, we had our Tuesday overreaction. Was of course, you know, Trey Lance, Trey. I mean, uh, Trey Lyles, Trey Lyles, <laughs> not Trey Lance. Sorry, this team uh, needs Trey Lance. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? At the end of the day, I, I'm. It, you almost hope that he's not here, uh, next season because if we go into next season and there's football season and basketball season at the same time, and we have Trey Lance as a starting quarterback for the 49ers, and uh Trey Lyles on the Sacramento <laughs> Kings man that's going to be a disaster uh but I, again like he he goes for what 24 points or 20 whatever 23 24 points whatever it was the previous game um uh, hey welcome back to earth uh Trey Lyles and like he just couldn't even be on the floor like that's that's where we got to and, and I didn't even like the start like what were you doing with that as your start? starting I mean Jackson Hayes is an elite, long athlete playing the four for them. How exactly was Trey Lyles going to be able to stay with him? I I didn't understand that in the beginning. And I know, like, you can't start a guy, have him go off, and then bench him, and then, you know, your fans are just going to freak out. But uh, between Justin Holiday and Trey Lyles, um, I think they were two for nine from the field and and ended with nine points. 40% of your starting lineup did nothing. Nothing were
1: absolute non-factors, and you just can't you can't survive with that man. And your six and seven. Davion Mitchell and Divincenzo combined for 11 points on five of 18. They only hit one of nine from three between them. And really, you need one of those two guys on from three. Ideally, both those guys, obviously. But I think that most nights you can expect to have one of them hitting um that still needs to be proven a little bit more probably but i mean yeah it's it's all the other guys right and i think the issue and why we've seen this king's team be so inconsistent last year and this season as well is is that um in, in partially due to their are having subpar shooters get up a lot of shots and that's just going to lead to some streakiness on the offensive end but you don't have anything to fall back on on the defensive end where when you're struggling on offense you're able to lock in and get stops and then let that lead into your offense and transition opportunities and things like that. Like that's what we saw going on for new Orleans. Some of it was poor shot selection from Sacramento, but they're getting stops. And then because of that, they're getting easy buckets on the other end. And the Kings are so good in transition and the transition opportunities just disappear when um, the opposition's offense is so much based in transition and you're not getting stops and you're not slowing them down in the half court. Um, So it's like just not having that to fall back on, makes it even more tough where Brandon Ingram's getting whatever he wants. And, you know, like these lineups of Mitchell, DiVincenzo, um, and like oh, why doesn't Harkless play when there's a little bit of this struggle going on? Like, i don't, I'm not trying to say Harkless is the answer, but you're already struggling from three. I do think he's one of the better defenders on this roster. Like, I don't He's know. He's six with a weird. seven foot
2: wingspan, and that's the one guy that you have that might be able to stay with, stay with Brandon Ingram, and you just don't use him. I, I mean, I, I I put it out at halftime. This looks like a game where, like, if you're going to make adjustments, you have to you have to make a, an adjustment. That's it. Like, there has to be adjustments. The other teams make adjustments. It was a four point game at halftime. Four point game. Yes, four point game at halftime. And you lose by 30. One team made adjustments. The other one did not. And, you know, uh, Sabonis talked about it that, like, we weren't as prepared coming into the second half. And I I know some people took that as a a knock on Alvin Gentry. Um, It's a knock on everybody. It's a knock on everybody from, you know, like, uh, you know, the
1: equipment guys all the way up. Like, that team wasn't ready. They weren't ready to play in the second half. Yeah, mentality thing for sure. Also, like I think adjustments is part of that from the coaching staff, but mentality. I think he said that you know New Orleans were the came out as the aggressors when we were the ones that needed to be, and that's a mentality thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean it's there's there's a lot. I mean this team is who we thought they were. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a team that's incomplete.
2: That's what it is. I mean, I think the frustrations that we had early in the season was that you had enough talent, but it was just, come on. Like, it's just no defensive effort at all, um, no cohesion at all. So when we saw those third-quarter quarter, uh, issues, this team was soft. I mean, there's no question, this team the whole first half of the season was flat-out soft. So when they got beat in the third quarter, it's because one team was completely locked in and ready, and the Kings weren't, and because they're soft, they got rolled. We hadn't seen that during the Sabonis era, uh, what we saw in New Orleans was more of just a complete mental breakdown. Like, they, I, I just thought that they never quite got their footing, um, even when the game was going back and forth, even when they got the in the bonus, all of those things. Like, the game was still close. And then it was just an epic failure by everyone. Just watching it unfold, like, what are you doing? Like, how can you do that? So... Uh, again, I, I think basketball IQ is something that still needs to be addressed with this team. I, you know, you need more basketball IQ. You need higher basketball, higher basketball IQ players. Uh, but you also need shooters. You need guys who are going to not go, you know, six of ten one night and, and one of eight the next, or one of five the next. Um, it's it's like we almost took Buddy Hield and just split him into th- thirds or something, and you're getting the same exact thing where one night he's on. And you're living by it, and the next night, they're not on at all, and you're done. Like, you, you don't have a shot. Um, and, and, and it's again, been three nights in a row of them not being on. Yeah, that's brutal. It, it's brutal. Uh, let's see. Uh, we saw the Sabonis-Valanchunis matchup. And, um, again, Sabonis missed a bunch of shots in the second half. Frustration. Uh, multiple players collapsing on him because why defend the perimeter when no one can hit a shot anyways? So we might as well go down there and help uh, Valanchunas out. But I love the battle, and that's something that we're going to see that. Um, watching Sabonis go up against Jokic and Valanchunas, these gigantic centers that have torched the Kings in the past that have really beat up on the Kings. We we looked what uh, Valanchunas had... Uh, 25 and 13 and a 24 and 13 against the Kings last season. Um, That just, you know, did Valanchunas have a decent game? Sure. But let's remember that, uh, that Brandon Ingram was on the biggest heater of all time. And at some point the Kings had to make some adjustments there. And so again, Valanchunas is going to get some points. He's, he's going to get some points because, you know, he's going to clean up some boards and, and he's going to battle on the point either way. Were you satisfied with, with
1: what you are seeing in, in the Sabonis-Valanchunis matchup? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I think that these last few games, like you pointed out, Jokic as well, have really given us a good taste of what to expect from Sabonis defensively, where I don't think he's a difference maker, but you don't really notice him out there in a bad way either, which I think is, for a guy that has his level of impact on the offensive end, is is a compliment um you know he's i think he's in the right spots more than often and he's just kind of deterring looks um he's maybe gotten in foul trouble a little bit more often than i think we would like but some of that has to do with like when they're blitzing rather than his help defense or anything like this um so i've been really impressed with him and i will say that like while they were really uh they were quick to Maybe call it in yesterday and and those poor IQ plays started happening a little bit quick. It didn't feel like they were bullied um, physically. And I don't feel like that's happened recently since the Savonis acquisition. So at very least, you have progress there where I'm not looking at the team and feeling like they're soft anymore. Um, And and the rebounding has been pretty good for this team as of late. Uh, They didn't do very well last night. I think they got out-rebounded by 12 but um, in the games prior, they've been keeping up in that battle, and I don't think we've had a game quite, maybe in the second half of yesterday, where it's like they're getting killed on the boards, as was so common earlier in the year. So while there's still other aspects to clean up, I guess that, that definitely has been some progress. I was, I was happy with Sabonis, and the Valanciunas matchup and the Jokic was a good taste of what to expect from him defensively. Yeah, and the rebound
2: issue, I mean, when you shoot 26% from the field, you're going to get killed on in the second half. That's what they shot. It was, I think, 26.8 or something. Uh, when that's how you shoot from the field, uh, you're going to get dominated on the glass. Most teams are ready for defensive rebounds. I mean, you have to work extra hard to get offensive rebounds. I thought even Sabonis was really good on the offensive glass. What, he had like seven offensive rebounds. I think that's what he finished with. Um, he was solid on, on the offensive glass and, uh, you know, it just overall, yeah, seven of his 14 rebounds were on the offensive end and the Kings held their own second chance points too. Um, it was 12 to 10. They, they actually won fast break points where they got killed, uh, which is what you were talking about, the transition 26 to 10. Um, and, and even like, I, I didn't even think the Kings, I mean, they turned the ball over 16 times, which led to 12 points, but that's not like horrific for uh oh no no that's uh they turned the ball over 11 times the kings did that led to 16 points and they were uh outscored a little bit there but nothing to really write home about that's that's not the biggest issue um and then you know uh brendan we were talking about this before we got on um like i think people are like why uh what did the the pelicans start the season like 1 and 12 or 1 and 13 and They've been playing much better basketball of late and, you know, they make one big trade and it's for a guy like CJ McCollum and everyone's like, well, how come they are rolling with CJ McCollum? They made a trade and they look good, but the Kings don't look good even though they traded for Sabonis. And I'll just point out this, that um, Sabonis is like a center of the universe player for, for a team. He is what you're going to run your offense through he, you basically are taking your play style and completely changing it when he comes in the door. And so there's going to take a longer time to get an adjustment. There's an adjustment period, right? When you put CJ McCollum in, he's just a much more offensive version of what you already had. He's the floor spacer you needed. He's not the center of the universe. Brandon Ingram is the center of the universe there. And and they do a lot of playing off of Alan Tunis and like... That's a pretty solid team, but I'll also point out that New Orleans was playing much better before they made the trade. They had already climbed back in the race. They had just won four in a row right before they made the trade. They've been, I think, four and four since the trade, but still that's like eight and four over the last 12 games. They're playing much better. They had momentum, Um, and when you add a player like CJ McCollum, who just helps space the floor and do the little things even though he's not a good defender he he's not the defender or rebounder that Josh Hart was he's still like almost a perfect fit player for that team especially if they get Zion back at some point next season or the season uh, like who knows when that guy's coming back but still he's a running mate for guys like Ingram and guys like uh like Zion where Sabonis is more of he is the show. He's the guy that you're centering everything around. And, and I think players are trying to figure out how to play with Sabonis. Um, and so I just think that there's going to be a longer like adjustment period.
1: There is. And I think that part of new Orleans was beginning of the year was a new coach that they were still getting used to. And it seemed like a lot of their off season was built around this idea of like point Zion. And then that never ended up happening and I think that there was just an adjustment to figuring out what this version of the Pelicans was going to look like for them. And as they started to get into a rhythm, they picked up the pace a little bit and then slotted in a guy that fit what they had uh, come to eventually find to be successful for them, um, like you were kind of laying out. I do think that this is concerning for the Kings to like think about, though, that you have to be rubbing shoulders with this team at very least. Like, they can't just absolutely outclass you like we saw in this game because this is a team that you are going to, like, even going into next year, you're fighting for a play in spot. Like, I, I think that when you're trading away your 22 year old uh, in, in Halliburton for a player that is more focused on now, while Sabonis can be on this team longer, like, there's more team control with Halliburton and the idea is you're more focused on right now, you need to be better than like the 10 seed next year. And what we saw last night wasn't enough when you're playing a team that is also going to be fighting for that like 9, 10 spot. Because while the Pelicans, sure, they did go away and trade their first round pick to get CJ, and the Kings still have that asset, it's not like the Pelicans don't have assets where if they wanted to make another move, or even if you're just counting on Zion coming in and what his addition would mean for their growth of this team. And you look at all these other teams that they're rubbing shoulders with, the Clippers, uh, if you want to say that, and that's like optimistic, they're not even quite there yet. But going into next year, that team's getting Kawhi and PG back. Like there's so many different, the Portland Trailblazers, who knows what they're going to look like this offseason. You know, maybe they go the opposite direction, but they have room to potentially grow with flexibility. Like when you're playing against, I think it's really discouraging when you just made what is a win now move. And while I still obviously think that the Fox bonus pairing is a little bit more future sided than just this season. When I say when now um, you need to be, you can't have the type of performances that we saw last night. And if this is an outlier, sure. But if you see a couple of these throughout these 19 games that we have left, like for example, they come and play San Antonio tonight. And I know they had a weird travel situation, but you need to have some sort of desire to show that that was the outlier what we saw last night because you you just can't have this type of close to the season and have three more of these games when you made the type of move that you did
2: yeah i, I mean i agree with everything you said there i'll say this though like this it looks like a win now move i, I and because you're giving up a 22 year old and you're bringing in a 25 year old uh, who will be 26 in May. Um, you are losing years there, of course, but like I, I don't think you can look at any franchise in like a two year window. it's and and you can't look at any franchise in like an eight year window. It, it, there's some sort of sweet spot there in the middle and it's clear that this team needs more. like we keep saying that that they they just the guys that they have right now are placeholders. they're not good enough. They're not good enough to be difference makers, and that's okay. I mean, everyone needs. uh, You know, there are different levels of players in the NBA, and and you know, everyone has sort of their niche. It's just that the niche players that the Kings have have right now, they aren't good enough. They weren't good enough at the beginning of the season. They aren't good enough at the trade deadline. uh, The acquisitions that came in. Um, So you have to have better players, and and I think that's the. The first thing that you like, you need more talent. And to me, this is a bonus move. It it just looked like step one. It's step one of like a two, three, four step process. And if that's not the case, then I think you're totally right. Like this team is playing for a ten seed next next year. But I think you have two pillars of what you're trying to build, and there's potential to change the course of the franchise right now. Like once we get to the off season, like right now is in, you know, April 15th, uh, you know, the season's going to be over clearly, and you're going to start getting into, you know, how do we shuffle this roster? I think the Kings have a plan, whether they are able to execute that plan is up in the air. Um, but we clearly, we need to see, um, you know, this team fight harder now, but knowing that this is not going to be the roster that's here next year. It's just not. and It can't be. No, it, it can't be. No, and I would I would assume that if, if you just do basics, you come back with Fox, Barnes, and Sabonis, and you just do basic upgrades um, at, at the two, adding a stretch four, adding more depth at the wing, this team will be better. Uh, and, and this team should be more in line because of the talent of the year two number ones. Your number one and your number two in, in Sabonis and Fox, you should be in the conversation for a six seed, like what you're talking about, even with other teams playing, you know, better. That should be the goal. It should be to improve the roster enough where that's what you're looking at and with potential to get better than that down the road. Um, whether and the they coaching
1: change is a big, big
2: factor yeah. there too. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think that's the other thing we can kind of see at this point now. Like, I, it's going to be very difficult for Alvin Gentry to make his case to remain the coach of this team. This team is worse under Alvin Gentry than they are, than they were under Luke Walton. And it's not even close. I mean, it's not even remotely close. And so they've got to figure that out as well. And I'm not bagging on Alvin. He was put in a, a bad situation. The situation didn't get better at the, at the trade deadline. It was a you're taking a step backwards to take two steps forward. Um, But that's really tough as a coach to have, you know, six new players on your roster at the trade deadline and and four or five of those you have to have in your rotation. And, And it's even more than we talked about this last pod. It's even more than like changing like a handful of your rotation. I mean, because of the impact of Sabonis on Rashawn Holmes. It's really like you traded Sabona I mean, you traded uh, Buddy Heald, Tyrese Hall, Halliburton, and Marvin Bagley, and Rashawn Holmes, because Holmes just isn't going to factor in. It, it doesn't look like he's going to factor in at all, which is bizarre. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think this was step one, right? And that's that's what we're hoping that is step one, and you get to see a further development this summer when when they you
1: know change his roster dramatically. Yeah, and again, it just definitely has to be step one uh, because this isn't enough. Um, Again, hopefully New Orleans is an outlier and that just coming off of that is just a bad feeling. And if they can continue, you know, the seven other games we saw from this team, I've been really encouraged. Um, But it was just scary to see another one where they phoned it in. And like visible frustration That is instead of turning into, um, you know, a fire and still remaining level headed and trying to mount a comeback because of their just desire to not be a team that gets blown out again. Instead, it led to poor basketball more often and then it just got worse and it all just kind of snowballed from there. So I, I think it was just, um, scary to see that happen again when i was hoping that we were getting further from that because it's you know easy to forget that like the first nine ten games this team was five and four at the beginning of the year and had played really good opponents and there was a really good feeling the same way that through these first seven games there was a good feeling with this team um but that can go downhill fast and they just got to make sure that again this is the outlier and not something we see a couple more times as the year closes because while Yes, they have the assets to make more moves this offseason, and um, I I think that they need to. Like we said, we expect them to, that you have to look appealing to whatever players that you're potentially wanting to bring in. And if you quickly look like you're a Kang situation and it goes downhill at the end of this season, um, then you just look even less appealing and your options maybe start to switch up a little bit and it's just yeah you you have to like what we saw with phoenix where in the bubble where they win every single game there and sure it didn't mean anything for that season but it meant that they were showing promise and looked more appealing to a guy like chris paul in in that offseason so while i do think it's better for them to lose games down the stretch here and better that asset of a top four pick which is probably the best thing that they can be working with this offseason um they they have to show fight and Make it look appealing to guys that could be coming in, and also for a guy like Sabonis that you need to be keeping around. He can't get in his mind of like, damn, maybe this is just what this franchise is like. Uh, I I agree one hundred percent. And and
2: I love the idea of what you're talking about with the the top four pick, the top five pick, top six pick, whatever it ends up being. Like, um, you know, there's a possibility they slide to seven or eight. Uh, but that's more of you're sliding to seven or eight just because people move above you somehow. There's a good chance, I mean, that this team moves up in the draft. Uh, and, you know, I think what do we say when they were the six? I think they still are the six. Um, they have like a 9% chance of one, 9.2, of number two, 9.3, 9.4% of number uh, three, 9.6% of number four. And it's like a 37%, 37.2% chance overall, something like that. I don't know. I think that that's not the way- something like that. That's the exact number. I don't know how you do that, James. Yeah. No, I, I, the, the numbers, the numbers stick in my brain. Um, yeah. So anyway, like in order to move up, like it, it's not that difficult and we're going to start doing major, major draft coverage in the coming weeks, especially, uh, in the coming months, actually, we're going to, we're going to get big guests to talk, uh, draft. We're going to, we're going to really focus on the draft because, that's where we're at again, uh, and that's what happens just about every year. Actually, it does happen every year that I've covered, like the last eleven. So I'm assuming that year twelve is going to be much of the same. Um, we, you know, like we wanted to play taps at the end of the game last night because that was like, you know, the season's over. Uh, but it really isn't, and the the record the Kings are going up against is is brutal. The fact that you lost to New Orleans is is bad because if you beat New Orleans, you go from down three to uh, down two in the standings. And when you lose to them, that means you drop to four games behind them in the standings. Um, so I, I looked it up um, right before we came on. The Kings are now four games out, uh, four games back in the loss column uh, with 18 games remaining. They're also... Only five and a half games behind the Lakers, which uh, again, I'll keep telling you the Lakers have like the most ridiculous schedule of all time. Um, The other thing is the Kings still have a two to one advantage against the Pelicans on the season with one game remaining against them. Uh, So they, they still have a potential for a tiebreaker. Uh, These are things that actually do matter, but they won't matter if the Kings go into San Antonio on Thursday night and get thumped. And I think that the San Antonio matchup is going to be, I mean, we looked at this five-game stretch and said, look, they need to go like four and one. They still have an opportunity to do that. Uh, Brennan mentioned it in in passing um, earlier, but the Kings did, they waited at the arena for like four hours last night because their plane had a mechanical issue. And then they ended up going back to the hotel And waited at the hotel um, and and then slept at the hotel and then flew out this morning Um, teams do not fly out in the morning that's not something that happens Uh, you're not supposed to travel on the actual game day and so normally teams will leave from one city late at night and fly to the other city it's because of you know things like this where you have a mechanical issue or something else they don't want to lose a game because um, a team didn't get there on time. So it's a short flight from New Orleans to San Antonio. I mean, I don't even know. What is that, like, 40? It's I don't even think it's as far as – it's like Sacramento to L.A., and I don't even think it's that far. Um, so it's it's a super short flight. Uh, and and we're talking about, you know, guys that stayed in a five-star hotel last night, even though, like, Mardi Gras is still happening all around them. Um, and then – Uh, they're going to have to, but their routine is messed up. So, um, they're going to play a Spurs team that is not playing well, uh, that is not really in the playoff run, uh, that, that did a couple of moves at the deadline to take a step backwards. It looked like, um, but still the team that's coached by Greg Popovich and has no problem smacking the Kings around because he doesn't care. And, uh, Brennan, just what do you want to see from this team? in in their game against san antonio uh like what is it specifically that you think that they can do differently that would lead to not just a different
1: outcome but a different feeling coming out of the game yeah and and real quick like no the spurs are not playing well but they're two games ahead of the kings so it says a lot about how the kings have have performed this season i think that it's just to show that yesterday was an outlier to have some engagement on these aspects that like running back in transition on defense every single time that you're out there and not just starting the game well and then slowly going away from the things that were working for you. Like keep up with your style of play and keep the ball and player movement going. And again, lock in a little bit defensively, um, at least here and there. I know that that's not this team's strong suit or anything, but I think that we can see more moments from them on that end of the floor. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that they just need to show that they want to prove yesterday was the outlier, and that's the most important thing to me, that, like, if when San Antonio inevitably goes on a run today, that they don't just start going, oh, God, here, here we go again. Instead, it's, all right, let's slow this down and stop this from getting out of hand. Yeah, I think
2: that that's a a really really good thought. That that is how the king should approach this. They they can't do the and I don't even say this. Like, yeah, I think you brought up something there player movement and everything else. Like I want to see Sabonis get the triple double. And and that sounds like, "Oh, you're you're stat hunting." No. Sabonis keeps getting to like five or six assists at half, and he's so good, and the offense is so good, and everything is fun to watch, and everything is moving, and players are moving, and cuts, and dunks, and like, it looks good, and then teams come out in the second half, and they make an adjustment, and the Kings just stop doing that. They stop finding ways to feed Sabonis. They stop finding different positions on the floor. We've almost completely gone away from Fox and Sabonis on the left side, which I thought was absolutely brilliant and was working almost every single time. Where in the world did that pick and roll go? Where did that, like, why, are, why do you go away from things at work? And so I, I think the Kings struggle when other teams make adjustments. Like, make some adjustments for yourself. Like, go out there and play hard, but if... Sabonis so gets a triple double. I, I guarantee you the Kings win. And it's not because, you know, he's, again, he's not stat hunting. It's because you're playing the game the right way. So why do you play the game the right way for part of the game and then you stop playing the game the right way? Why do you start making bad reads? Why do you start taking bad shots? And I just want them to get a, away from that. And if that means that Sabonis so and Fox and Barnes, have to play 45 minutes tonight and you just like lay it all out there. I don't want to have any more excuses for why you lost, because if you're allowing the two other positions on the floor to impact the win and the loss so much, um, then just let the like four or five guys that you're going to try to put out there, let those guys share the minutes of two, two positions. And if they can't come through, then that's on them. Uh, But I think, the again, the trio of Sabonis and Fox and, and Barnes, they've done enough, in my mind, that their teammates are letting them down. And that can't be the way that this game goes tonight. Go out there and play hard.
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. And I, I think that, like, I personally would like to see more Davion Mitchell. I think he's a guy that... Um, probably take some of these low IQ frustrating shots less than most than I, I he's not the guy I think of when I'm talking about that. I think that he has his moments. But more often than not, I feel like Davion plays within his role and himself and how he's comfortable. And he's a difference maker on the defensive end. And his minutes have fluctuated a lot recently. Um, it, it's been kind of weird. And I, I think that against a team like San Antonio that really struggles to score in the half court, where try to throw out, you know, there's lineups that this team can make where they're good on the defensive end, um, which I don't think was quite the case before. And if you're struggling and you can't make shots, then put guys out there that maybe can't make shots at a better rate, but at least they play some defense. Um, So, I mean, I would like to see a little bit more Davion. I think that go to Harkless if you're not hitting shots. Like, maybe that's, counterintuitive but get something (laughs) on the defensive end i i I understand what you're saying yeah get transition opportunities um divincenzo's really frustrating on offense and i think that he tries to maybe be the hero when there's some opposing runs going on a little bit too much um but he's a difference maker on defense he's good at getting in passing lanes and kind of mucking up the game and getting you transition opportunities like go to Try to fall back on your defense a little bit in some of these games. And I, I think that, especially when you're not hitting shots, and I think that San Antonio is a good opportunity to do that when they're a team that struggles so much in the half court on offense. Yeah.
2: Um, I, the, the D. Vincenzo thing, we're, he's he's on our list of people to talk about uh, in the pod today. And I, I, like, waver back and forth between being intrigued by him and being so frustrated with him. I, I like, literally, like, can't handle it. Um, he, he's one of those players that kind of leads you to that. But if I can see him as like, I, I like to give baseball analogies and, you know, I, I think there are catalyst players in baseball that do things that change the game, like totally. Uh, and you know, I think, uh, Jose Altuve is like the ultimate catalyst player. Like he does things all the time. And I think like Dustin Pedroia used to be that way as well. Um, they do things that, that often don't show up in the, in the stat book, but sometimes they do, uh, you know, the A's traded for Sterling Marte and, uh, and was like, holy cow, like every time he gets on base, he's on third. You're like, how did, how did he get over there? Uh, just like stolen base. But even still, I think a guy like, um, like Loriano is a catalyst player where he makes some throw that no one saw, saw coming and gun somebody down in just some egregious way, and it changes the entire momentum of the game. The Kings need that type of player, someone that comes in and does something wild. Uh, Bobby Jackson was a catalyst player. He's a guy that you have your core group of, of five, your five starters, but then he's a guy that comes in and does bring something different to the table that changes everything, changes the feeling of the game, the vibe, the defensive intensity, or the offensive intensity, causes a run, whatever it might be. Uh, I think DiVincenzo has an opportunity to be that. And I, I think that that's a good thing. I see that, that that could possibly be the way that he is, but he does try too hard sometimes. And I think that's where, like, play within yourself. Do some of the crazy things you're doing, but play within yourself specifically on the offensive end. Uh, don't take off-balance th- off threes. Uh, play within the system. Find open spots where you can be successful. Um, and just understand that your that like Divincenzo's shooting percentage, it's not just 100 percent on him because he either makes or misses shots. Like every player, it's like either you make or miss shots. It's 100 percent on him on the quality of shot that he takes that hurts him. So it's it's those are two different things. Like if you put him like in the corner and have him shoot threes, he's gonna make and miss shots. But when you choose to take low percentage shots, you're even hurting yourself worse and you're hurting your team worse and you're getting yourself out of position and your teammates out of position and I just need to, like if he's going to be that type of player, he's got to be really good at it. And I I think Terrence Davis can also do what he does and can be really good at good at it as well and be that difference maker uh both as a like frantic defensive player and as a really exciting offensive weapon. Um but you know, I, again, I, I see the value of DiVincenzo maybe a little bit
1: more as we watch him a little bit more. I just need him to be better and more refined. He needs to be a lot better. Um, I've been really surprised with what we've seen from him. I think kind of as advertised, maybe even um, impressed more than I expected on the defensive end. But offensively, it's like I thought we got rid of Buddy Healed. And some of these times, some of these shots are flashbacks And it's it's frustrating. Um, You know, I I think that there is an aspect of, you know, coming back from injury or maybe he feels a need to punish defenses that are helping off of him a little bit. And I think that everybody on the team has aspects of that sometimes where it's like they're completely ignoring me. I have to punish them for this. And but those aren't really the issues with DiVincenzo as much it's these off the dribble like you said off balance sort of looks that you're seeing from him um, that have been so frustrating and I think that you know if if that continues to happen where it's these ill-advised shots early in the shot clock um, that at some point the teammates around him are like I think we saw this with Buddy and and Marvin fell into this as well it's like I would be worried about if the ball gets to him that he's going to take a poor shot. And I think if it if this keeps up too much, that we could get to a point where it's like you know the ball movement it, that is indirectly causing the ball movement to be less on this team because there's less trust among everybody else on the offensive end that it's going to come back to you or that we're eventually going to get a good look. Like, I, I the poor shot selection from him on offense has been really really concerning for me. From me. Yeah, and then let's just
2: like because we're we're talking about Divincenzo. On the season, well, okay, in 17 games with the Bucks, he shot 33.1 percent from the field, 28.4 percent from three. With the Kings, he's shooting 35.2 percent from the field and 29.7 percent from three. Um, he is doing a better job at uh, at like assists. He's averaging 3.4 assists, playmaking for others. He also has been incredibly disruptive on the defense. He's averaging 1.7 steals per game as a king, um, and his career average is 1.1. And I was even surprised when he had he had the five-steal game. That was his career high. Um, and then he had a four-steal game. Like, he's had—so you look at the 1.7, he's played seven games. Most of his steals came in those two games. Um, there's just, like, an erraticness to him. And I think part of it is that, you know, he's— uh, he's coming off an injury and he he just doesn't have his rhythm and everything else. But another part of it is it he's in a new situation where he's trying really hard to be, uh, something that maybe he's not, or maybe something he thinks he can be, but his body isn't there quite yet. Or, or is like, you know, sort of the, the rhythm of the game isn't quite there yet. Um, so, so anyway, like I, I'm not ready to just flush him down the toilet or to like, let him walk in free agency for nothing. But at the same time, Like, I need to see more in this next, in the final 18 games.
1: Yeah, it's definitely making me look at him a little bit differently when it comes to what we're talking about in restricted free agency this offseason or or how much of a focal point he is and a difference maker when you're talking about surrounding these guys, Fox and Sabonis with the right guys moving forward because got to be able to hit shots, the guys that are around those in the main complementary pieces. Isn't that the biggest thing? It's that you
2: have to show that you can complement them. I mean, at, that, at the end of the day, like, every player should be looking like, how do I compliment those guys? I don't need to be different. I don't need to do – that. that's why I think, like, we're all pretty on board with uh, Davion Mitchell. Like, even if he did take, like, a couple of bad shots in the last game that were frustrating, be more of, uh like, in the moment they were frustrating, like, you can't take that shot at that moment. A 21-foot jumper is never a good shot. You don't take a step inside the key and take a jumper. That's just just not a good shot in the NBA. It's such a low percentage, Um, but it's not. He does not do that very often. And he is, uh, like him and Divincenzo, while they both have this defensive acumen and this, uh, but it's completely different. They're almost complete like opposites. You have one long, rangy guy that jumps out of the gym. One ground-based guy that, that is a bare-knuckle brawler. One is a gambler on defense. The other one is is someone who's going to like stick to you like glue. Um, one of them takes irrational shots. One of them takes really high-quality shots, typically. Um, one of them takes off-balance shots, where the other one is always set, always ready. I, I think you can use both players, for sure. But I need DiVincenzo to be more like the rookie and less like... Buddy Heald or less like, um, the first 15 games of the season of Terrence Davis.
1: Yeah. And then what have you thought of Justin Holiday? Um, it's been an interesting one, you know, I, like on the
2: defensive end, like I thought he would be better. Um, I don't think he's been bad, but I also don't think that he stood out at any point as like, huh. Uh, you know, he had that play, uh, in the game where he decided to foul somebody like inside the key on a fast break, just reach out and give like a lazy foul and say, okay. And then he barely fouled him, And then he got the whistle and the guy just went up and, and hit the layup. And it was like, a, oh my gosh, what, what, like, seriously, like, what were you doing? Like there, there's those moments where I don't think he, he's, like a, a player who does a bunch of stupid things all the time. But I also just think he, you know, like he's in somewhat easily replaceable player at the NBA level. And I think you can get players that do what he does, but do, do, do they do it much better. And so like, if he's on the roster next year, that's fine, but he's got to be like a nine, 10 guy in the rotation. He can't be a starter. And that's why I keep getting back to the Kings have to find a starter at this shooting guard position and whether you need to give Divincenzo some time there and see what he can do. um, See if he can be disruptive, see if he can hit shots, see if he can play within the style of the offense and not do silly things. That might be something that I I still want to see. If not, like I, I think right now, strangely enough, I think Davion Mitchell probably gives you the best chance as a starter next to Fox this season. And, Like, that's to me, that's, that's not a great thing, because I I, I do think he still has some limitations. Um, But and it's not that I dislike him. He's a young player. And he's, he just doubled up on his college season in the most games he's ever played in a season by twice. And you know, you're gonna have some ups and downs with a rookie. But I still think at this point, he's probably your best option. He's probably your most consistent shooter, your most consistent player at that position. And I think Alvin can make a lot of moves here, but one of the the major ones he has to do is is start trying other things at the shooting guard position, because I like again I think Justin Holiday's a he's fine, um, you know I thought he would be a little bit more like Garrett Temple and he's not he's not as good defensively as Garrett Temple, um, and he's so erratic with his shot, uh, even when he does have good shots he's not hitting them all the time, and so you know I think there's an issue there as well.
1: Yeah, I think that defensively, um, he doesn't really stand out in a great way, but he doesn't stand out in a bad way either, which I think I'll take on this team, weirdly, from where they're starting. Um, and then offensively, like he, he's a guy that I would like to have around us, like you said, like kind of like the eighth, ninth guy next year. Um, I do wonder if like offensively some of these shots he's getting up, because he is absolutely guilty of taking some of these really poor shots early in the shot clock that are just like semi-decent looks from three, whether it be like on pin downs from Sabonis or handoffs. Um, they're running like a lot of the same actions that they ran for Buddy, which are going to lead to some off-balance triples that you're shooting with not all that much space, which is something that Buddy was really good at. Um, and so there's a part of me that wonders that like, does Justin Holiday. Maybe it's being communicated to him or maybe he just looks around at the starting lineup and is like, I'm the guy that needs to be the threat from three and needs to make sure that I'm garnering a lot of respect and defenses are worried about me shooting. So maybe he's putting up shots a little bit at a rate that if there were more shooters around him, we wouldn't quite see. Because if you were getting him in more of like a spot up role when it came to, Uh, the offensive end and then still just like your decent, slightly above average defense, then I think I'd be pretty happy with him. I I think he might just be being asked to do more than what he should be.
2: Yeah, I I can see that. I'll just tell you, like in his small sample size of eight games with the Kings, his offensive rating uh, per basketball Reference is 99 um, per 100 possessions. His defensive rating is a 117. That's not who he's been throughout his career. He's typically like, and uh, with Indiana, he's a 111 and a 116. So I don't think he's been all that good. And I think the biggest problem I have with him isn't just that, you know, so right now with the Kings, he's shooting uh, 36.7% from three on six threes a game. That is actually reasonable is something that I, I would accept as a role player on this team. But when you really look at the numbers, that's not what they tell you. that that's just that's the problem. He has a six for 11 and a four for eight. So of those two games, they account for like 10 of his 19. Uh, he's 10 of 19 and even has a four of six, but he also has an O of six, a one of six, a one of three, a one of six, and a one of three. So an O of
1: six in that first one.
2: Yeah, O of six. Uh, one of six, one of three, one of three, one of six. So it's in three games, he's hit his threes. You know, he's 14 for, uh, what is that, 25. So that's that's an extremely good rate. What is that, 28, 56%. Uh, in the other games, he's one, two, three, four, 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 2, 4, 4, 12, 18, 21, 24, 4. For, so what is that, 25%. That's not going to cut it. He has to find the middle ground. And, you know, so there are guys that shoot 38% from three, and they shoot 38% almost every game, you know, that you can rely on that. And then there are guys that shoot like what we're seeing from Holiday where it's just all over the board. And you, the Kings can't survive a zigzag, you know, up and down. That's just not. If you're going to be a role player like that, you have to be consistent and solid, and that's just not what we're seeing. And part of it is learning new teammates. Part of it, you know, is trying to make an impression and all that stuff. It just hasn't been very good, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no. Offensively, they can't deal with guys that are going to be streaky like that. Um, and just to stay on the topic of that three point shooting for a second, like, can Harrison Barnes just shoot like ten of them a game, nine or ten of them a game every single night? please because he's the one guy that is that consistent three-point shooter his consistency uh varies based on if he just is deciding to shoot it or not and like you see it in that first half mainly that first quarter he doesn't need much space his release has become so fast this year and high yeah and and he's such a good three-point shooter he gets it off so quickly he can get that shot fairly often um just shoot it more often like gentry talks about it all the time like he shot three the other day and we heard walton i think his target was like six earlier this year gentry's come out and said he wants eight or more like they've been very blunt they like we want hb to be shooting more and i think it's obvious why like that's the one elite three-point shooter on this team that does it consistently just get the shots up
2: yeah he's shooting 41 percent on the season um and he's he's shooting uh 4.7 attempts per game and i, I think the uh the problem that I have the last couple of weeks um, is that, like, even if you look at the the Pelicans game, just that game specifically, I don't remember Harrison Barnes passing up any shots. I don't remember him passing up any any three point attempts. Why is he not getting the ball? Why is he is he part of? Is it just like a uh, something in the system that's causing him to not get additional shots? Or is it that he's not calling for it? Is he not being more aggressive? Is he not cutting to the hoop harder? Like I'm confused why it is that his shot numbers are so low. Because again, I don't see him passing up a whole bunch of things, or and, and he's not getting a, a bunch of assists. Like he has a couple of games where he has some assists, but I need to see the ball more in his hands. Like figure it out. I don't care. Like like it's nice that Trey Lyles can go for 24 in a game uh whatever 23 25 i don't know why i keep forgetting what he scored in that game um that's because that number is like like two days ago like anything long-term i can remember uh short-term numbers i can't remember um anyway uh, the the point though is like like harrison barnes there shouldn't be a game where he doesn't shoot he should always be part of the game plan like how do we get harrison his 14 shots i'm not talking about 18 shots or 20 shots how do we get him 14 shots and sometimes he he has a low shooting number because he goes to the line 10 times in a game and those are five shot attempts that you know that he would have taken and if he hadn't been fouled so i get that but i still i, I can't see him disappearing like he did in the fourth quarter or he did in the third quarter uh against the pelicans and uh, that's as much on his teammates as it is on him and we got to get to a point where that's just not the norm
1: yeah when you're talking about complimenting these guys, he's the perfect compliment, I, I think, right now. And um, just if we're going to talk about him as the number three guy, which I think he's clearly that, then he's he's got to be that more consistently and totally with you. That's on more than just him. Yeah,
2: if he was the number four guy, I have no problems with the the like up and down shot attempts. If he's the fourth guy, and he's not the fourth guy. And so that's the problem. Um, and maybe he is the fourth guy after this, uh, after this off season, maybe he's not in Sacramento. We don't know. Um, but I I certainly, if he is going to be that guy, he needs to be like, they need someone else like him that can eat up those, they can have that big game along with him. They can go back and forth and maybe have games where you take only 10 shots while the other guy takes 16 shots, Uh, but you need to have some balance there where he's taking more of the, the load, um, all right, so we've gone through – we beat this game to death because this was such an important game, um, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, we always have to get to the business of basketball. Brennan, are you ready? I am. You're ready. Um, me and Sean have talked about this in the past. I, I don't think we, we did, like, our f- first game. We like, But that's what we're going to do. What is the f- first game you ever went to any sport wh- – like? I'm not talking about high school or, or something like that, but unless you saw something absolutely incredible, but what's your, your best
1: sports memory, your first, your first game. My first game I remember going to, and I think that there's like, you know, games I went to that I had to saw pictures of that. I don't remember like an old candlestick game or something like this for the Niners. But the first one I remember is definitely a Warriors game. Um, I think, Before We Believe, and uh, I'm sure it was a Monte Ellis-led Warriors team against the Clippers that were horrific with, like, I think it was Corey Maggette was the guy on that Clippers team at the time. And I remember uh, I made signs. Me and my sister made signs. And there was, I, I remember prior to the game, the lady behind us whispering to her friend, like, God, I hope these kids aren't annoying, and, like, holding their signs up the whole time. And I just, like made me not raise my sign the entire game. So shout out to that lady for ruining all my hard work on that sign. Um, But yes, it was an Oracle arena game that I I don't have a great recollection of what happened at the game. It's probably the best seat I've had prior to like being media um, at a game. But yeah, Monte L.S. Warriors and Corey Maggetti Clippers. It's about as peak basketball as you can get. It's funny, uh, Brennan is
2: so young that I remember I was I was at the game when the Warriors traded Monte Ellis, um, and Mark Jackson got emotional, like, started, like, tearing up in pregame while we were talking to him. It, it happened, like, Monte Ellis was on the court warming up, and the news broke that they just traded him for Bogut, and it was, like, this horribly, like, shocking moment that Kings—it was at Arco— um, and, uh, just as oh, they were playing the Kings, this, this wild moment where they're playing the Kings and, um, I was media and I was covering the game and, and it just went like really, really sideways, really quick. Like what in the world just happened? Like, I don't, that was the first time I'd seen that. Like I, now we've seen it, like Corey Joseph gets pulled off the court or whatever. And like, Oh, Corey Joseph's gone. See ya. Uh, but that was one where it was like, Ooh, that was, that was your guy. And Monte Ellis was an interesting guy to cover, like, as visiting media because I don't know him that well. But, like, the way he carried himself was always uh, was always intriguing to me. And, like, the juxtaposition with him and, and uh, St- uh, Steph Curry was just like, oh, wow. Like, just completely just the way they carried themselves was so different. Um, it, it was interesting to watch. My first sports uh, game, like, I'm old enough that I – like I was huddled around the TV with everybody else when uh, when Dwight Clark made the catch, but um, that was at home in like the 1981 NFC Championship game. Um, and then I remember them going and beating uh, the Bengals, but again, I, I wasn't there. Uh, my first game, I have a bunch of boy cousins, so um, I like at one time I had 31 first cousins which is, like, some people go, oh, wow, that's a lot. But uh, on my mom's side, there's there's quite a few of us, and uh, we're all around the same age, and one of my uncles decided to take us to a game. So I think there was, let's see, me and my brother, five of us, five boys, and then my uncle was driving, and we went to an A's game. And the A's had just won, like, 15 straight, um, and then they lost the day before. So we were hoping to see, like, this huge run and uh, they were playing the Detroit Tigers for a day game on, like, a Wednesday, which is, like, as a kid, that's the best uh, because, you know, the sun's out. You're, like, enjoying yourself. You're having a good time. You know, it's Oakland, so there's no one really there. Um, again, they were playing the Detroit Tigers, and both Alan Tremell and Lou Whitaker came over to the side and signed a uh, – I think, I think I had a Lou Whitaker card – I didn't have an Alan Trammell card, but I got him to sign like on this little notepad I had. Um, I walked over to the uh, the A's dugout in pregame, and Mark McGuire was there. And I had an '87 tops Mark McGuire with like the wood border, and I leaned over the dugout, and he took the card and signed it and gave it back to me. Uh, and I had a similar situation where some a-hole lady goes oh you ruined the value of that card like seriously <laughs> like I was like come on lady like I, I was and I was young um anyway we my uncle made us leave early uh which I like I will never leave a game early ever again because no. of it uh the A's were up and I think Detroit came back on light and and scored like eight in the seventh and uh, and beat the A's and so anyway we were listening to it on the car ride home and just like distraught that the A's were losing after we left um, and again my, my kids know we don't leave games early,
1: my wife knows we don't leave games early, um, it's never going to happen because that was, that was my first game I, I left a game early with, um, with some family that I went to and yeah, you know, we listened to the radio on the way home, I think we left probably bottom half of the or in the intermission in the 8th Right. Um, Intermission is probably not the word. I do not watch baseball, if you can't tell. Just yeah. um, between innings. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So I and then, yeah, I remember on the car right home, it was like, well, we might as well turn on the radio just to see how it ended. You make, make sure. And uh, the Giants hit a grand slam to uh-huh. tie it and send it to extra innings and ended up winning it. It was a tough one to hear on the radio. Yeah. It, it's fun. Uh, like,
2: we, we talked about this. Like, I was at the... The A's playoff game against the Yankees, where Derek Jeter made the play at home on Jeremy Giambi, where he flipped the ball to home plate, and and they got Jeremy Giambi, uh, you know who who just uh, passed away, and went like a couple of weeks ago, um, yeah. Anyway, like I've been at some big big events, you know, like Verlander shutting out the A's in the in the playoffs, um, you know, and all the basketball I've gone to, you know, being at the NBA Finals, like for all six games or all seven games for seasons or when uh the Warriors came back from 3-1 down to to beat the the, uh the Thunder like I've got to see a lot of that stuff but as a kid I think it's more special when you're a kid like you want to bring your kids to games that like maybe they get to see something crazy maybe it'll be the the thing maybe they got to see Bogdanovich hit the three or or the Chemezi met two three and it just like I think it changes
1: it makes you want to be a fan in a different way so good stuff. Yeah, I think one of my early ones. I, I think it was just after finals, my sophomore year, was right as the Warriors were starting to get good. My dad's a huge Warriors guy, always has been, screaming at the TV about Monte Ellis Warriors as far as long as I remember growing up. Um, so actual Warriors fan, and then moved to SoCal, and he, I got to go to one playoff game where we we sat super high up with. Uh, actually, I went with my uncle, and. It was right as the Warriors were getting good and then they beat the Clippers, which was Lob City Clippers in the playoffs. Um, but I think we went to game, must have been game two of that series, something like that. And, and uh, it's definitely very fun as a fan walking out of the opposing stadium wearing like Warriors stuff and, and just dapping up everybody that walks by that's also a Warriors fan and getting a lot of crap from all the Clippers guys. Um, so yes, it's a, definitely a very, very fun experience. I have a random question for you. Yep. What stands out to you as like, you got to witness the last game that somebody played as a member of whatever team? Um, Robert Covington on the Wolves, I went to two years ago, I think it was, was in, um, was at Golden One Center. I don't know if Jimmy's last game, as a wolf, I think.
2: As a as a young younger guy, I saw John Stockton's last game. Wow. Um, where John Stockton and Kings fans gave him a standing ovation. Uh, I think I was at a game where Magic Johnson broke, like he broke ten thousand assists or something. I was at a game where John Stockton. Um, had like one of those numbers as well, like 12,000 or 14,000 or 50, whatever. I, I don't remember what John Stockton has. I know he's all time assist leader. Um, but like, I'm pretty sure John Stockton's last regular season game was in Sacramento. Um, and I'm also uh, like, I think Stockton played one of his last, uh, post-season games in Sacramento as well um yeah let me let me look yeah his his last official game in the postseason was in sacramento and his last game of the season that year was also in sacramento
1: that is a solid one yeah
2: yeah 2003 playoffs and he wasn't very he wasn't very effective um and no one really felt bad about it because um what he did to Jason Williams the first year the Kings made made it to the playoffs in the 88 I mean the 98-99 season um he kept hooking Jason Williams and and getting foul calls and again and again any he, like he almost single-handedly won the game just on that and I mean the Kings were in that series I I think Vlade had two or three shots at the buzzer to beat Utah um when they were like the upstart Kings in the 98, 99 lockout shortened season. So yeah. Interesting stuff. Definitely. So awesome. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's finish up here. Um, want to cover a couple of things on the way out the door. Um, number one, Sean Cunningham, our good friend, Sean Cunningham, who will eventually be back. Uh, we're just biding our time. Um, and we've discussed a little bit, but like, we'll just wait till he gets back. Um, he tweeted out, uh, last night that one of the Kings players and maybe multiple Kings players are taking care of the funeral expenses for, uh, the three young girls that were shot and killed, uh, by their dad at a Sacramento church, as well as, um, I guess it's a family friend that was there acting as a, uh, like a visitation, like intermediary to, uh, while the dad had like some uh some sort of visitation um so the word on the street is the sacramento kings players player or players and that's probably going to be anonymous because a lot of these guys like to do that Um, they're going to uh, take care of the funeral expenses so um that's that's a big thing sacramento community um outside of that I want to give a shout out to my guy, Ali Thanawala, who is an incredible editor uh, and writer at, at NBC. Um, he just went through uh, a nice little surgery and um, has some healing up to do. And big shout out to Ali and nothing but well wishes. Uh, and outside of that, um, it's going to be a, a wild couple of days as the Kings try to figure out if they can buoy themselves after getting thumped. Can they bounce back? Uh, Brennan, do you have any final thoughts?
1: I do not. Um, I'm excited to get further into draft coverage. I didn't go crazy with it last year. Um, you know, I still probably did about a top 20, but the year before, I think I ended up going 45 deep or so, and I'm excited to get pretty deep into it this year. During the pandemic,
2: I was oh, it the, the first year of the pandemic? Um, so is that... Twenty. Okay, I did 23 mock drafts for NBC. Um, yeah, I've done mock drafts for a long time, long time. And, like, I, I have draft Bibles. My first draft Bible was the Zadrunas Ilgoskis draft, which is, like, really, really a long time ago. Jeez. Yeah, I had to print it out on a daisy pinwheel printer. Um, like, I had prospects, every single prospect. Um, yeah, I, I love the draft. I love studying the draft. I've already, like... Uh, started my film watching and stuff like that. And I already got some of my favorites and um, yeah, uh, but we'll be ready. We'll be ready here and uh, we'll get some crazy guests too, to, to come in. And that's always fun. Um, get different angles on the draft. Uh, I always enjoy that part of it. Um, and, and we'll just keep building on the conversation. Um, all right. So let's see last, uh, just cover our last bases. Uh, Kings beat merchandise. If you already bought it's on its way. Uh, if not, uh, you want to go to um, the shop, and, and which you can find in the description on YouTube, but also uh, you can find it on the King's Beat. Uh, KB Podcast, uh, capital K, capital B, capital P. Uh, KB Podcast gets you 15% off your merchandise. Um, outside of that, uh, make sure to give us a subscription, make sure to give us a thumbs up uh jump on board with king's beat get yourself a premium subscription because the next happy hour is probably about a week or two away uh and you're going to want to be part of that so for brendan nunez from the king's herald and the king's pulse podcast i am james ham thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week